0: You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. So point one is Peter's delusion. Now, listen, I think that we are all uh, delusional in some way, in some form, right? And delusion can happen for several reasons. Uh, it can be uh, self-preservation. Uh, delusion can come out of stress or even out of anger. But no matter the reason, oftentimes delusion can be dangerous. Um, I was, this is probably about 20 years ago, uh, Julie and I were just dating, and I was um, trying to swoon her and impress her, and I, I knew exactly how I should do this. I was going to go to her house, and as she was on her way home, she, as she was pointing up to her house, I was going to perform what is called the Chinese throw-in. It's a soccer trick. It's one where you do a forward flip, and then with all your momentum going forward, you're able to throw the ball incredibly far. And I thought that nothing is more attractive to Julie than me doing a Chinese throw-in. So, I did this. Well, I attempted to do this. It had been several years since I had done it. I was a little bit out of high school at this point. I was in college, a little bit more sedentary, gained a couple more pounds, and, but I was a, a little bit delusional. I thought I was the young guy who used to be able to do this. And so I, as soon as she was pulling up, I ran, I was going to do the flip, and I fell. And I fell directly on my head, like like directly on my head. And what happened is when I fell, I didn't just get the, the breath knocked out of me, though that happened too. I, I, I could not move my arms or legs. It was terribly, terribly terrifying. I looked it up, and not being able to move your arms and legs after a head injury is not a good thing. And so I was there in pain, and she pulls in. She watches me. She's on her phone, and she gets out and, uh, after... She parked the car, Kyle. She, she got out of the car on her phone and she walked over my body and said, one day, I'm not going to think you're kidding and no one's going to believe me. She walks in mad at me as I'm trying to tell her and gasping for air the call of the ambulance. Now, there's two things I realized in that. Two things. One, I was delusional in my physical abilities. I cannot do what I thought I could do. And secondly, that apparently I joke far too much. And she left me there for 10 minutes until she finally realized that this wasn't a joke. Now, Peter has his own dangerous delusion that we're going to see today. But it's, obviously, it's not dealing with soccer tricks. That would be an interesting passage. But it is something equally dangerous. And it will show him, when this delusion is pulled up from underneath him, that he's not the man he thought he was. And it's going to reveal more than what he wants to admit Look, if you will, we're going to go back a little bit to Mark 14, 26 through 29. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the shepherd will be scattered. The sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all will fall away, I will not. Now, if you remember, Peter gave a soft rebuke to Jesus back in chapter 8. He rebuked him and and told him that he shouldn't be saying that he's going to die and resurrect from the dead. He says, listen, you can't say that craziness. That's not how you lead a political movement, saying you're going to die. So he gives this rebuke. And once again, and though this isn't as harsh as that one, this is still a soft rebuke. Because what he's saying is, Jesus, what you're saying about me, it's wrong. You're wrong about me. Now, what I love is that Peter looks at the rest of the disciples and he looks at them and he goes, yeah, they'll, they'll probably run away. You know, this weird looking group of guys you got, but me, I'm with you until the end. You're right about them, but God or Christ, you don't know me like you think you know me because I'm here to the end. Now, you might be asking, what on earth is he supposed to say? Right? What's he, what's he supposed to say when Jesus tells him, You're going to deny me. Is he supposed to go, eh, probably. Most likely. I know me, and I I, I like my life. No, of course he's not. He's not going to do that. That would be a little bit awkward. Let me tell you what he could have done. And here's just a thought. Maybe trust the words of the Lord. Notice that Jesus even says, it is written. This was told beforehand by prophets that you all will scatter. It is written. Peter could have trusted the words of the Lord. He could have asked for strength, asked for wisdom, start already to ask for forgiveness. But his pride won't allow him to do that. Right? The prideful Christian cannot see their blind spots. Right? They struggle to see their need for grace, and they tend to rely on their own abilities. Pride right, does not allow you to have an honest self-assessment. It's like a silly mirror, right? It distorts what actually exists. And Peter is deeply satisfied with himself and his, greatly, and his great ability to preserve or persevere when things get tough. Christ says, listen, you're going to fail. And the apostle literally saying, do you even know me? Of course I won't run away. But the argument continues in verse 30 and 31. He says, And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he, being Peter, said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now I want you to store that phrase in the back of your mind as we continue the story. Now what sticks out first, right? He says, I'm not going to deny you. But before that, he puts a condition to reveal his faithfulness. He goes, if I must die, I will not leave you. Peter does not believe what the Lord says about him. And I get it. I I don't know about you, but, but when you share the gospel and you tell someone what scripture says about them, that they're, Sin is going to result in God's judgment of them. When you share the judgment of God that they deserve hell and they need grace, most of the time people go, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but do I think I deserve hell forever? No, well, I'm a pretty good person. That was my testimony, right, when, when I first heard the gospel. When someone said, you deserve hell, I was said, well, I mean, come on, it's a little bit harsh. Maybe a little rebuking, but for eternity? Come on. Because I was delusional about my state before a holy and righteous God. There's some of us here. We don't want to believe what Scripture says about us. First John. Go read the book of First John. It is incredibly convicting. Because it's pretty clear, one of the major themes is if you do not love your brother, Scripture says you do not love Christ. Now, it defines love as serving and giving of yourself. Now, if I said to you, listen, if you're not serving and giving yourself here in this church, listen, you don't love Christ, you'd be like, well, that's a little bit harsh. Of course I do. That's a little harsh. I believe that Jesus is God, but, I mean, does he... That's that's a little too much, isn't it? Scripture warns us about chasing wealth and prestige. It's a waste of time. But if we're honest with ourselves, what do we spend much of our time chasing? Is it a life, a radical life for his glory? It's because there's a part of us that just doesn't believe what Jesus says about us. And our pride will not allow us to repent. And that's why the delusion of pride is so dangerous. The prideful heart is not a repentant heart. The prideful heart is not a broken heart. Now, Peter seems to be doing pretty good at first, right? Let's. I'm going to look at Luke 22. This tells us a little bit more detail than, than Mark does, but the same occurrence that we looked at uh, last week, 49 through 51. It says, And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck with the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. Now, the Gospel of John tells us the guy who actually... Takes out the sword was, in fact, Peter. Uh, but, but I love it, by the way, that all of the disciples are going, should we do something? What should we do? Meanwhile, Peter already has a sword out cutting people. He says, listen, I'm going to go down fighting. You're not going to take me alive? That's good job, Peter. Doing well so far. Defending Christ, even though Christ rebukes him and says, I don't need you to defend me. You're not here. I have to die. Now, we read at the end of this count, if you remember, all the disciples run away. That includes Peter. He ran away. And at some point, as Peter's running away, he thinks to himself, well, I probably should go back. Now, whether or not this was a plan or just some conviction, we don't know. But it's at some point, Peter turned around, and he decided to go secret agent, mission impossible, and follow at a distance. Look at verse 54. It says, And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us whether what he's doing other than warming himself. I tend to think he's trying to plan like a prison break. Like, what am I going to do? He's drawing his plans in the sand or something. But scripture, again, doesn't tell us. Maybe he's just there to collect information. But what we do know is that this delusion that he has about himself is going to be shattered. And what I want you to pay attention to is not only how is it shattered, but how he responds to that. Let's look at the second point, that is Peter's denial. Now, denial serious business. And being denied or being rejected by a stranger, that it may sting a little bit, but it's not like lasting. Like, you can get over that. Someone doesn't like you, is that doesn't know you, okay, you can move on. Hurts maybe for a couple minutes. But when one is disowned or rejected or denied by someone they love, this is altogether different. I had this happen to me somewhat recently. In fact, this past week. and Maddox was dressing up, um, he decided, well, both my kids decided they wanted to dress up like Star Wars characters because they're good children who love the Lord, and so Maddox said, "I want to be the Mandalorian." I said, "You got it, Mandalorian." Claire wanted to be Princess Leia. Boom, got it. We get their get their outfits, and I talked to Claire. Me and Claire are kind of talking about what we're going to do and uh, and some you know accessories they can have to make their costume come more to life. And I said, "Oh, Claire, I got it. I got it. I got it." I, I we looked on Amazon. We found a zip up onesie for an adult. And I was going to dress up like baby go baby Yoda, right? I was excited. I was like, this is going to be epic. Claire was excited. She's like, this is going to be epic. And we were rejoicing. We were excited. And then I turned to rejoice with Maddox. And he was like pale. Are you serious, dad? I said, yes, I'm serious. This is going to happen. And he said, oh, no. No, this is going to be so embarrassing. (laughs) I'm happy y'all found it funny. (laughs) Maddox was pretty, he didn't say it directly, but this is what he basically said. Listen, if you do this, I'm not claiming you. You'll be the weird adult walking the streets of Scott Depot in a Grogu outfit. I'll leave you behind. Now, now, Maddox's denial of me was because I was putting his first grade reputation and his, and his creds at risk, which is odd because he's homeschooled, so his only other peer is a sister who was all about it. <laughs> but we were going with his friends, and his friends, you know, they were like, dude, your dad's going to be weird. Like, they, they would have said it. And for Maddox, this was serious. Like, we laugh about it. For him, it was really serious. Like, dad, this is embarrassing. He was scared of what others may think, seeing their dad dressed up like baby Yoda, and he couldn't risk it. He couldn't risk it, what will it cost associating myself with you? Dressed up like a goober. Now, Peter had to ask a similar question. What's it gonna cost him to be identified with Jesus? Now, it wasn't he wasn't worried about his credentials, he wasn't worried about his reputation. Peter was fine with being seen as a strange person. But what we see is that he realized it would cost him his life. And that changed the story altogether. Now remember, Peter said, I will not leave you even if it costs me my life. Let's look at the next set of verses, 66 through 68. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out to the gateway and the rooster crowed. So Jesus is confronted. Hey, you're that Jesus follower, right? And his denial is interesting because it's kind of a passive one. It's not a straight, like, answer. It's not like, no, I don't know that guy. But it's a complex phrase, right? He's saying, I'm not, I mean, it could be like, who's Jebus. It could be something like that. It could simply be like, I don't understand your question. It's a little complicated. I tend to think he's kind of pulling a bit of a, like, a Bill Clinton here, right? The question is, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. And he's like, what do you mean by with? What do you mean? <laughs> like, like that's, that's kind of how I feel like what's going on here. He's playing word games. But no matter his intention or how he said it, what is clear is this rock named Peter is starting to crack. And notice what he does at the end. He changes location. It says in verse 69 to 70, he says, And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. moved, but the problem persists. A side note that Jonathan Edwards pulled out of this that I really, really liked. He said, a change in place is no substitute for a change of heart. A change in place is no substitute for a change of heart. I think it's a beautiful stated of, of what is exactly happening here. Peter thought if he could just escape the servant girl, that he can continue in his covert devoutness to Jesus. The problem, of course, is not the girl, right The problem wasn't the girl at all. the problem is what is going on inside. now I've done a lot of marital counseling, and oftentimes there's this lie people can tell themselves if we change the situation, if we change the external, things will get better. I've I've had people say, uh, if we just move to a new place, if we can just move, maybe to a new state, a new region, get new jobs, things will be better. I've heard people say, if we just move to a new church, things at home will get better. If we just change the externals, things will get better. And sometimes this can be true. But if the issue is our sin, then rarely does changing locations help anything. If I don't trust my spouse, if I'm not gracious to my spouse, then moving to Michigan isn't going to soften that. If I'm struggling with pastoring a congregation and I'm quick to anger, guess what? Moving to a different church and pastoring a different congregation, that's not going to solve the issue. I'll still be quick to anger. Because many of our problems, many of our struggles, are not a result of what is in front of us, but rather what's inside of us. It's the that internal inclination to sin which produces situations where sin is magnified for everyone to see. Hence, when Peter tries to leave, what follows? His problems. The problem is not the servant girl. She's simply exposing the issue internally. It's his heart. It's his heart that makes a God-glorifying opportunity become a sinful stain that Christ has to die for. He changes location, but his heart remains the same. Now, can we take just for a moment and appreciate what is happening in the light of Peter's promise to Jesus, right? He says, even if death must come upon me, I will not leave you. Now, this is where I think God has an incredible sense of humor. Because notice, this is not a general who's following around Peter, This is not some sort of king or emperor. This is not some sort of great warrior holding Peter hostage in this epic Spartacus moment. The sovereign Lord sends a servant girl to crush Peter. No doubt, the delusion of Peter is being ripped apart by a person in that day who would be considered at the bottom of the social Ladder, But what I also love is how the situation here is a tool that God is using to reveal to Peter who he actually is, to remove the delusion. And I think oftentimes, right, when we get an uncomfortable situation, our goal is to get out of it as soon as possible rather than recognizing it, even sitting in it, in realizing how enlightening it can be, the struggle is not always the enemy. The struggle can be a gift that is enlightening, and we see that that even through pain, through uh, discomfort, even though it's scary, a struggle is part of our story. It's part of our sanctification. It's what Scripture calls being refined by fire. God has created. An uncomfortable situation for Peter. A humbling experience for Peter, no doubt. An eye-opening reality that dismisses the distortions created by his pride. And though it's deeply an uncomfortable situation, it's a well-needed situation for Peter to be in. Let's look at verse 70 and 71. And after a while, while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly, you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Interesting note, right? They recognized where he was from because of how he spoke. That tells us a little something about Galileans. They probably had a funny dialect to these people. But notice where, uh, where this passive denial ended up. I want to read it again, verse 71, if you could put it back up there, please. He said, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. That's like saying, as God as my witness, I do not know Jesus Christ. That's some dangerous words by Peter. Peter's invoking the Lord's name as a way of, validating, and bringing believability to his sin. And what we see here, Peter, whose name means rock, he has been shattered. He's crumbled. And the man who claimed he would never turn away from Jesus is now swearing in God's name that he does not know Jesus. It's because his own security has been threatened. His safety is in question, and he quickly disowns his creator. But before coming to this place, if you remember back a little bit, before Jesus is taken, they're in a garden and they're praying. Jesus got mad at Peter and a few others, but he gets mad at Peter. Do you remember why? Because Peter refused to pray. He told him. You need to pray. And Peter said, well, I'm going to go to sleep instead. And this happened not once, not twice, but three separate times. Jesus says, Peter, wake up. You need to be praying to not be overcome by temptation. Now, Peter's pride could not imagine that he would be overcome by temptation. He's strong. He's resilient. Never mind Jesus telling him in the garden in verse 38, right? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter ignores it, paid no attention to it. Three times he was told, three times he ignored. And three times he would fall to temptation and deny Christ. Church, what a reminder that even the best of men are men at best. The great Peter failed to realize how quickly sin can slip in and take over. Thus he didn't pray. He didn't heed the warning. He didn't listen to his Lord's words. Let me ask you, who here would claim to be greater than Peter? Any of you? Surely I'm not. I don't think any of us would say here that we're better, that more resilient than the Apostle Peter. So, what does that make us? Listen, if we're no different than Peter, then when Jesus says to Peter, hey, pray that you don't enter into temptation, should you? Should I? How often, church, honestly, do you bend the knee and ask the Lord, please, through your power, help me overcome temptation." Are you not worried about being tempted? If not, that's delusion, a dangerous one. Are we any different than those who Jesus preached when he gave them a serious warning about making money and possession idols? Are we any different? Those of us who struggle with such things? Our hearts are idol factories, which one of us doesn't struggle with that? How often do we pray, Lord, help me not break your law and worship only you? How often do we self reflect if money and possessions have become our idols? The Lord says that you are quick to do it. Are we different than anyone in Scripture who the Lord says, hey, some of you? Are you not going to be in the habit of gathering? You're going to come up with reasons not to get together. Do you pray against the temptation of isolating yourself and living a selfish life? Listen, the church's denial is often not with our lips, but with a dismissive denial of Christ's warnings, of his teachings, and his exhortations. Truth is, Peter, listen, Peter denied Christ long before this event. When he rebukes Jesus for saying that he had to die and rise again, guess what? That's a denial of Jesus' plan. When he refutes Jesus' knowledge of his own heart, That's a denial of his omniscience. When he takes out the sword, thinking that Christ needs his help to do anything, he denied Jesus' power. And when he kept silent, he denied Jesus' lordship. And out of the abundance of his heart, Peter spoke. Peter did not trust the Lord on many occasions. And this verbal denial was simply the climax of all that was going on inside. Now, you and I are no different. There's not one of you and not one pastor here that can claim that we don't struggle denying Christ in areas of our lives. And we'd be fools to say so. So church, are you praying that you overcome temptation? If you know that's true, if scripture says that's true about you, Does that truth get you to bend your knee in prayer and humility? Or do you dress yourself in delusion? We're no different than Peter, whether it be our silence to those who need the gospel, our slothful hands, is a denial of his lordship, our cold and oftentimes apathetic hearts for one another, a denial of his lordship? It's all a denial of Christ and his lordship over our lives. And so who of us are not like Peter? Look at verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And it says he broke down and wept. At this point, we see the beginning of a transformation. Peter realizes his sin. And Luke actually gives us a bit more of a detail of this interaction, and I absolutely love it. So to paint the picture, Peter's in the courtyard. He's denied Christ three times. Meanwhile, if you remember last week, Christ is in the upper room, and there's a trial being held. And if you remember, he's quiet. He's not saying anything. And they even criticize him for being silent and not even defending himself. But Luke says this, it says in 22, verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. His eyes are caught by Christ's upstairs near a window and Peter knows all too well that Jesus is aware of what just happened. He's not the strong rock at this point. He's he's gravel, pulverized. Now, this look at Peter by Jesus, what do you imagine it to be? A judgmental look? Christ shaking his head in disappointment going, you failure. You failure. I knew you would fail. You're hopeless. You're such a disappointment. I don't think that's it at all. I think that's often what we're prone to think. Because think of it, the same eyes that were fixated on Peter's sin are fixated on yours. Every sin Christ sees and so often replace a loving and merciful God, a gracious God who's slow to anger with an abusive, unforgiving Lord. Peter, his eyes locked with Christ. And when I imagine him seeing, our eyes filled with compassion. Again, I love it that Jesus is being criticized for being silent during his trial. He's not saying anything. You know what he's doing? He's tending to his child who's broken. Even while he is at the hands of his enemies, preparing to kill him. He's more concerned about the child out the window. Often, sadly, we forget the grace of our Lord. And I'm not saying that God's not angry or that his eternal justice is not real. But rather, Christ took that judgment and justice for you, so you would not get crushed, so that you could live eternally. Jesus took the anger of the Father and was crushed so that you would live. The compassionate eyes of Christ, I can't say it enough, are the same ones that see you. And I praise the Lord that Peter's story does not end in this. Courtyard. He doesn't sit there in his shame. As often, listen, I I meet with many of you, and it is the habit that we sit in our shame. And all that does is keep you looking at the transgression rather than the one who bore our transgressions. Rather, right, his, his sin here isn't going to define him. It's going to redirect him, rather him sitting down and going, look at what I've done. What we're going to see is a Peter who says, when I was at my worst, when I was lost, you came for me. And by the way, Peter's God is your God. Now we see the final point, which is Peter redefined. Now, when I say I think I, the eyes of Jesus were compassionate ones, this is, this is why um, I say this. I, it's not me reading too much in the text. Uh, there is, I'll let you read um, the beginning of John chapter 21. I encourage you to read it. Uh, but what you see is Peter, you know, he's depressed about all that's happened. Jesus has died. He's resurrected, but, but Peter doesn't know that yet. And so as most men do, he's deeply depressed. So what's he going to go do? Fishing. So he goes out and he goes fishing. And he sees on the beach Jesus. Now, there's something that happens. I'm not going to go into that. This is a miracle that happens. But he sees Jesus and he gets out of the boat and he runs as fast as he can to this Jesus. Notice, he's not running worried about that Jesus is not going to love him anymore, as as we do so often when we sin. He's not worried that Jesus is going to reject him because he messed up, like we do so often. He runs to the one who shows compassion and who died for all of his past sins, his current sins and sins not yet seen. Peter's reaction to Jesus, he runs to him up on the beach is a man who understands that he's been forgiven. Something that many of you need to remember. Now, for family worship, I want to give you homework. I'm a teacher by nature, so I like to do that sort of thing. I don't want to talk about it now, but I do want you to go home, and I want to promote family worship. I want you to take something from here, and I want you to talk about it in your homes at your dinner tables, or when you get up or when you lay down, whenever you want to talk about Scripture. But I want you to take a notice. There's a difference between how Peter deals with his uh, the denial of Christ and how Judas deals with his. Both of them are a betrayal. Both of them deal with it differently. And both of them say much about what it means, it looks like to follow Christ. But for here, I want to go on to verse 15 through 17 in John chapter 21. To finish this segment where Jesus meets Peter after the resurrection. He says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Peter denied Jesus three times. And what do you see? Three times, yes, Peter, do you love me? And this isn't Jesus doing some sort of cruel joke, rubbing it in into a wounded Peter. There's two things quickly I want to point out about. it. first, uh, Peter Gets it. Right now he gets it. He says, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. Do you love me? Listen, Jesus, you know everything. You obviously know everything. He finally gets it. There's no point in arguing with Christ. You know all things. You know my heart. Yes, I love you. I love that Peter is not defining himself by his past failure. He's not questioning his love for the Lord because he messed up. He knows he is secure, and this relationship with the Lord is secure with God, not by his own works, but by the reconciling work of Christ. And because of that, Jesus can run to him, or he can run to Jesus, rather. And despite your denial, by the way, guess what? You can run to Christ. Despite your sin, you can go to his throne of grace. In fact, he tells you to. The second thing to notice is after each time, Jesus asks, do you love me? Peter answers in the affirmative. And notice what Jesus says each time. Please pay attention to this. If you get nothing else, listen to me now. What does he say? Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now, Jesus is making it clear. I know you love me, but to love me is to love what is mine. And out of a love for Christ, you must love and take care of other Christians. This is not optional, this is not a suggestion. Now, listen, I want to give you a scenario. And I'm not doing this to make you feel guilty, I promise. I have no desire for anyone to do anything out of guilt. I mean that. My desire is for you to do all things out of love for your God. I'm serious. So don't come telling me you're angry about this analogy, but I'm going to to tell you. Did you listen to what I said right beforehand? I promise. I'm not trying to make you mad. But listen, a couple weeks ago, I said to you, 60% of our church does not serve. Over half of you do not serve in any capacity the congregation that you are a member of and that you covenanted with, meaning you promised that you would do it. 60% of you don't do it, right? Now, imagine, let's just play a little scenario. Imagine rather than Jeremy Berry come up here and be like, hey, I want you to serve. I've got a little card for you, right? Rather than that, Christ himself made a guest appearance and said, hey, I need you all to serve. Serve my sheep. We need help with kids, hospitality, it's your congregation, your church. You made the promise. Be a person of your word. Do it. Come on. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we would have gotten more than, what, five cards the first week and six cards the second. Now, Why? Why is it that we would respond to Jesus' guest speaker differently? His word says that we should serve each other. We're given gifts. But why? And this isn't me being cynical. I can tell you. I can tell you why I would be like, you know what, Jesus, I can do more too. It's because we love Jesus. That's why. More of you would have volunteered to serve because you love the Lord. That's what I believe. But Jesus is telling Peter the same thing that I think we need to hear. I know you love me. I know if, I, if I'm here with you, you'd be willing to give up your life for me. But Jesus, he's not staying with them. He's ascended up to heaven to sit on his throne. And so he's trying to drive to Peter. I know you're willing to give me everything. I know you're willing to die for me. But listen, I won't be here. And Peter, your love can't flame out because I'm gone. Church, your love can't flame out because Jesus isn't the guest speaker. Peter, your love can't wither away. Church, your love can't wither away. He's making it very clear. Peter, you love me by loving them. This is true for each one of us. Jesus continues in verse 17 through 19. He says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death in which Peter was, uh, would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. He tells Peter, listen, you're going to be crucified by force. You don't have an option. You're going to be killed. Now follow me. Peter, you said you would die for me. And in fact, you will die for me. But it's not... You're not dying to preserve my life. Again, I'm ascending to heaven. You are dying for the sake of my sheep and you are to teach them, you are to to invest in them and you're gonna die for it. It is easy for us to say, I would die for Christ today, but to die for one another is a harder pill to swallow. But Christ says, do you love me? Love my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Because the time that's coming, you have to die for what is mine. This moment had to be powerful for Peter because as he's getting older, as he's getting older, he is writing to his, to a church on what they need to do. I want you to listen to this. This is 1 Peter 5, 2-5. It's as if Peter speaking to himself. And what a transformation. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Notice, this is a different Peter, isn't it? This beautiful exhortation by Peter could not have happened until he was broken. For Peter to be useful in the kingdom, he first had to be broken. He had to be all of us who struggle with pride, in order to be useful to the kingdom, you must be broken, broken by your sin, broken and humbled by his grace. Listen. To us pastors, Will, myself, Patrick and Jabes, may we not be proud or do this at a selfish gain but may we shepherd with humility and a care for Christ's flock and love these people because we love Jesus in church listen you need to pray that we may resist the temptation to labor out of pride you don't have a pastor who's not capable of falling to that you need to be praying us fathers, may we not be proud or domineering, but let us shepherd our families eagerly as God would have us. In church, we need to pray for our fathers that they may not fall into temptation of apathy, failing to teach diligently their kids and their wives the law and the gospel daily. Mothers, we need to pray for our mothers to be examples to those in and out of our homes. Pray for our mothers that they will nurture a love for God's word. Church, do you love Christ? Do you love Christ? Then take care of his sheep. let us bury our pride and humble ourselves before the feet of our King. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.